0: Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Values & Vino podcast. I find it fitting that my guest on this episode named her nonprofit organization, Ambition, because she is blonde, ambition, and then some. Nancy Gale is the founder and designer of celebrity handbag company, Jama, as well as founder of the nonprofit organization for teens, Ambition. Her story of being a victim of severe sexual assault to openly forgiving her mother's murder in court will leave you breathless. If this episode made you grateful for the life you have, please leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe to the Values and Vino podcast. Hang on to your chonies and enjoy the ride. This is the Values in Vino podcast, where we believe that shared values bring people together and values misalignment can keep people apart from one another, including themselves. So we'll be here discussing what values are, how people can discover their values, and how we all can live within those values personally and professionally. Did I mention there may be some wine drinking? If you love values or wine as much as we do, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review. Without further ado, enjoy this episode of the Values and Vino podcast.
1: Hey, Nancy. Hello, Katrina.
0: <laughs> Welcome to the Values in Vino podcast. I'm
1: very excited to be here and hang out with you.
0: I've been wanting to have you on here for a while. Um, and then you know I've never had to reschedule a recording until last week with oh, you. Oh
1: wow.
0: But you know I think it's 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 the universe telling me to get more prepared. Ah perhaps <laughs> So um, Nancy, you and I met each other at um, an, ev- an event that alder. Yes put on um it was like was it the last live event um before it, it was up?
1: it was fe- it was february of 2020 or 2019
0: that's right it, was that's it right. 19 or 20 yeah no 2020, 2020
1: yes. february 2020
0: yeah crazy and um marvin invited me to go and it was a great event and i was You know, exploring if I wanted to join Alder or not, and kind of see what it was about. And you immediately connected with me and introduced yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of other members did the same. But I I, was—I remember uh, texting Marvin or or talking to him afterward. And um, I was like, "Hey, what was that lady's name?" He's like, "Blonde (laughs) hair,
1: that's me." (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm like, that. oh, that's no. her. he's like, Nancy, I'm like, awesome, <laughs> good <to know. laughs> uh, and so that's how we met, and I wanted to kind of give our audience the con- the context, and so we've known each other for about a year and a half, and we immediately you know, connected and, and we've had meals together. I've been to your house. You've been to my house. Actually, it, was it Christmas Eve that you and Michael came and hung yes, out with it was. Katie and I? Yes, it was. Yeah, because you had a very special delivery. Yes, we had your
1: me. Nicole bag.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because, you know, it's interesting how things work out. Um, I have I have been wanting gift myself um with a nice purse but like I could not pull the trigger on any like big huge branded purses like a Gucci or a Louis Vuitton I was just like I just don't I just don't like them I mean that's really the only way I could put it I just I I don't like I mean some of their bags are beautiful but there was just something about I just none I just didn't connect with any of those brands and so I think you and I um did we have lunch or something and then I came over yes, to your house? We had afterwards. lunch with Kyle.
1: That's yes, right. That's yes, right. We went to Javier's. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And then and I went to your house and then you had your, your display mm-hmm. of purses. I'm like these are really nice. And I like started trying them on and and that was it. It was like the the idea that I could have um a custom made mm-hmm. bag the way I wanted it to me was what I was looking for. And so you have been
1: It has made in the USA.
0: And made in the U.S., yes. I just thought it was like so poetic that, mm-hmm. you know, we, you, came in, you came into my life just when I was kind of on the search for something that I typically don't spend money on, to yeah. be honest. But I, I'm very proud of yes. this purchase. But anyway, let's get into the wine. Okay, here we go. So this is uh, from Stagecoach Vineyard. It's a it's a lavendi. It's a twenty sixteen Cabernet
1: Song Legion.
0: Um and and Todd, this is Todd
1: Russman. Which is fantastic. I think it goes very well with the bags. Which with, bags? With my bags, right? Oh. I think it's just a perfect compliment.
0: It is. Oh, let's try this. It. really so good. Okay. All right. Are are you ready to do our our cheers? I am.
1: <laughs> are you ready? Yes. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> oh, that's <Ooh>. yummy. <laughs>
0: that is really, really good. Yummy. It's like it's velvety.
1: Right? Ah, that's a good word. It's really smooth and
0: I'm learning new new uh, wine words. words.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: yes. Thanks to my lovely partner. I love it.
1: So you can do a lot of whining.
0: <laughs> this is perfect because I'm gonna get a tooth pulled. <laughs> <laughs> like hold hold the novocaine. I'm good. <laughs> I've already started. <laughs> <laughs> awesome that's really good shout out to our our friend and other fellow alder member todd russman for um sending me those it's really Fantastic. Good. now i'm gonna be like uh you know todd actually the bottle's broke you're gonna have to send me some new ones <laughs> um okay nancy yes so why why handbags
1: why handbags well you know, I lived in Detroit for 10 of my formative years, from 7 to 17. And even as a young girl, um, I was fascinated as I got older when the auto industry started leaving Detroit to go overseas. And at the time, I kept thinking, as that's happening, and and I was a little young to really understand the world economics, but I, I was baffled by the fact that all of the luxury brands were sort of allotted for Europe. And I started to look around and and understand what that really looked like. And uh, I discerned one day, um, it's not that they can produce anything better than we can in Europe. It's that they use much prettier words where we say manufacturing and factory they say things like atelier and craftsmanship these beautiful sexy words and it dawned on me that one day and it might not be for many many years from now there will be an american luxury brand and why not why not me and uh i wasn't really interested in the fashion industry but not from the standpoint of clothing um really quite honestly because the idea of grading is awful to me Uh, and so with handbags i can just make a bigger one a medium-sized one and a small one and i became Mm -hmm. in in all honesty fascinated with this idea that this item that was is purely utilitarian you just need a bag to hold your shit i mean that's um Mm -hmm. could actually become um something that you can hold on to that makes you rise up, that can go across your entire wardrobe and change the scope of that. So to take something that's so utilitarian and make it something that's so beautiful, um, that fascinated me. So that was really where handbags came from.
0: And when did you have like your first big break? when doing this?
1: So I started the brand at the time of the business partner in 2000 and we were January 20th, actually 2000 and we were working in the entertainment industry doing a lot of high-end gifting and we started to transition a bit and I wanted to go into retail and then went on my own. And uh, in 2006 ish, I was thrust into this really funny situation where someone had already bought Brad Pitt, one of our men's bags for a movie, and he loved it and wanted a smaller version. In the midst of our making the smaller version, I was doing a gifting, Christmas gifting for Clint Eastwood and his wife, all through this entertainment industry connection. And mm-hmm. someone happened upon me at this meeting. and. Um, they ended up bringing my bags to Angelina Jolie. And they brought my samples back and said she'd like these nine. <laughs> and she, she noticed one of them was very familiar because Brad had taken it home from the set. So um, we ended up making the nine bags, making him this smaller version. And it wasn't, it was probably eight or 10 months later, they started showing up in People magazine. And I had publicists at the time and nobody was getting me anything. So I finally just started writing all these magazines saying, Hey, look, I'm an independent designer. I make luxury in the USA and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie keep wearing my bags. And the next thing I know I had press, then I got into Vogue and in style and it sort of swirled from there. And then we got a call that Channing Tatum was looking for the bag that Brad Pitt carries. And from there, it went on to Jessica Alba, and then it sort of just step by step. That's
0: awesome. I, I mean, I'd get a bag that Brad Pitt wore. Right. <laughs> just to say I wore it. So there's so, it's interesting because I feel like they, although beautiful and and crafted and you're clearly passionate about them, I feel like this is just a small part of who you are Mm -hmm. and your story compared to all of the the things you've experienced and all of the other things that you're doing. Um, I remember, you know, when you first shared your story with me, I was like, what? I, I just remember getting off the call feel I think we were, we zoomed. It was just you yeah. and I. And I just was, I just would have never known. And I'm not saying that, you know, people superficially what they've experienced, but you know, some people carry some things with mm-hmm. them, right. And their personality and you were like the most positive, optimistic, bubbly mm-hmm. person. And so when you told me your story, I was just like, okay. Mm-hmm that I I was so interested in how do you move past like events that you've experienced. And so um, if whatever capacity you're, you're um, comfortable with um, can you share with our audience kind of that situation that happened? I believe you were in college Mm -hmm. um, and like what that was and like, how, how did you overcome that?
1: So I was actually right out of college. Um, and I think that, you know, the setup for me was in high school, my mom spent the greater part of my high school years um, in the hospital in and out of a coma. And so I was already mm. fiercely independent. And I watched her recover. And I think that sort of my family was already a breeding ground for resiliency and something we talked about all the time. And the idea that you, mm-hmm. you know, you get to make the choice if you happen to your life or your life happens to you and that resiliency is a choice, but a very conscious choice. So that was sort of the groundwork for my, you know, my growth. And a couple of years out of college, well, I, I was actually 25. It was on 4th of July in 1988. I was, um, Walking down the street, it was after a party that I had been um, that I had attended, and I was jumped and uh, brutally raped. And that whole experience was a, uh, you know it's just surreal. And afterwards, um, and very, very shortly after, I was driving, I was on the freeway. I was living in the East Coast at the time. And this commercial came on for the Rape Crisis Center. And at the time that was the go-to for really the only go-to. And I listened to the commercial and it's like this Gothic heavy music. And then you hear a woman in the background say, oh my gosh, I was raped and I'll never be able to be with a man again. And I pulled over And I just thought for a couple minutes and I quickly drove home and I called my mom and I said, gosh, this is so interesting. I just heard this commercial and I I feel like I'm being guided to respond that way. And I frankly don't feel that what happened to me had anything to do with me. This was, I Mm -hmm. mean, other than the choice I made to be in that situation, walking down the street by myself Mm -hmm. late at night in the dark. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, but other than that, um, I feel like I'm I'm being instructed to respond that way. And I don't feel that way. And so that, in the first place, made my mom very happy. But it turned into a, uh, it, it sort of spawned this very long conversation. And I was actually in the midst at the time of a move to Los Angeles. So when I got to LA, I thought, well, we're, you know, what can I do with this? Because I can't be the only person that feels this way. Or maybe I'm the first person to realize that we're being sort of programmed this way. I don't know. So I...
0: Yeah, it's like it's like uh, you're just continuing to punish yourself.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And there's no room in that conversation for anything other than going down that path. And then people who hear about it, one thing that I noticed was really interesting no one would ask me about it but Mm -hmm. a friend of mine's um folks had been on a trip in the caribbean somewhere and they were mugged and everybody would talk about that everybody asked a million questions Mm -hmm. and i thought oh my gosh it's just so interesting that clearly people are afraid to open this can of worms and we've now been told you know this is something i have to quell and carry in private and I couldn't understand the difference, although one goes to another level of you know, violence. It still didn't mm-hmm. the, the what perpetuated that and that personality that would do that. I didn't feel was would be any different. So I come to LA and I decide I'll volunteer at the Rape Crisis Center because then at least I have a chance to have these conversations. And I couldn't get in. It was you know way before the internet. And it was um, one woman in, I believe it was Santa Monica, trying to hold everything together. And so, but, but I have to be honest, even that didn't feel like the right place to have these conversations. So I ended up doing a lot of speaking engagements at um, self-defense schools. And the first time I went in, there were about 80 women. And we sat down on the floor on these mats. And I said, so how many women here have been sexually assaulted or raped? And uh, I think there were 75 women and two to three Mm -hmm. hands went up and they barely went up. They were that sort of timid. Mm -hmm. So I start telling the story about what happened to me. And in the middle of the story, and it's amazing how our minds protect us. I start to say, so, and keeping in mind, I'm in the fashion industry um, I, after this happened, I end up hearing sirens and I, what we discovered later was someone had seen something. So they called the police. So well, I'm lying there and I'm, you know, bruised, my clothes are torn up. And I thought, oh gosh, I have on <laughs> this new Pepe jean jacket which I had actually come to California. Um, I planned a trip around it, it being able to be at Nordstrom's when it came out. <laughs> and I get this jacket, and I'm in love with it. And I, it was beyond my means at the time. But anyway, I'm in this jacket, yeah. and I realize it's the only thing that's not torn, I think, in the, in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, we're going to take my jean jacket as evidence. So I discern there's enough evidence on the rest of me. I somehow wiggle my way out of it and I roll it up and I roll myself over and I shove it under this little shrub area because I'm going to go back the next day and get it, which I did. (laughs) Yeah. So as I'm telling this story, everyone's laughing really hard. And in the middle of the laughter, I said, so remind me again, how many people here um, have experienced a situation like mine? And over 25 hands went up. Wow. Over 25 hands. So one third. One third. And not all were, you know, they're they're different degrees. But I realized in that moment, this wasn't because I made people comfortable. This is because people were laughing. And when you are laughing, you are powerful. And when you are powerful, you are comfortable. And then this incredible conversation ensued. And people who had not spoken about it to anyone, I think suddenly found that they were engaging in a conversation that wasn't about them. You know, we use very lightly the I'm, you know, you're not a victim. It's like, the truth is I was a victim of someone's, you know, horrific moment. And so you were a victim. I was a victim. And to me, mm-hmm. victim didn't mean this is my fault or I'm weak. It just meant I was a victim of a crime. And so I right. think that's what happened for all these women. Suddenly they realized I'm not talking in this sort of woe is me sense. I'm talking about something that happened to me um, through an act of violence. And it changed the, the trajectory of the conversation for everybody. And that was when I, I think I really finally understood all the conversations I had as a young girl about resilience and choice and I just sort of became my motto my mantra, really, power not pity, and power not pity doesn't mean I'm not going to go home and be hurt and sad and feel, but when we mm-hmm. speak with power, not pity, everything changes, and then that starts to change the course of your life so that that's sort of cemented for me there
0: That's so important because I try to release things myself people from labels
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and you know I think when you you were able to release yourself from this label of yes you were a victim at that time Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you are a victim today yes um and I've utilized this even with like reparenting myself Mm -hmm. through my my relationship with my parents and you know, what happened when I was younger, I am not that little girl that is being neglected or is is helpless or, you know, I'm not that person anymore. So I don't need to be that person today. That's so well said. And, and I mean, I've almost, I've always, I'm like devil's advocate now when it comes to those things. It's like, well, that person is loud. Mm. And I'm like, Well, they're loud right now, yes. but that doesn't mean that they're loud all the time or that they're just a loud person because, you know, this becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy when we do that to one another. I definitely grew up with people putting labels on Mm me. You know, I'm loud, I'm assertive or I'm funny. um, You know, I'm aggressive, Mm -hmm. like whatever, like all of these labels and I, I, I just realized I don't have to be all those things all the time and you when people put those beliefs on you you start to become it because you feel like you have to fulfill these requirements of being loud and and so now I'm I'm like I have moments <laughs> when I'm loud and I have I have moments when I enjoy being outgoing and and social but I also like to listen so I think that's so important that you've come to that realization because I'm sure um, like me, I, there are people who just, they live with these labels forever. They, they carry them, they wear them. Yeah. They, and, and they end up, you know, d- keep they're unconscious and they're unable to connect and they're unable to, you know, live a fulfilled life. And, you know, there's just all of these things that happen from wearing all the weight of the labels so I'm really I'm really happy that you overcome that because I mean not shortly I mean after you moved to LA and then not too long ago something happens to
1: your mom yes yes. and uh, so uh, Thanksgiving weekend will be 10 years since my mother was murdered in a home invasion Oh my gosh. And uh, it was brutal and heinous. She was um, uh, murdered. They, um, in court, it came out that she was raped. She was then taken to her car, driven 45 minutes away and torched in her car. Um, You know, something that you just never, ever expect will happen. And, you know, for me, like in my rose-colored world. Um, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. something that doesn't happen a lot anyway. I mean, the murder rate in this country is 13,000 murders a year. Um, right. And it certainly, you know, as far as I knew, didn't happen in, you know, in my circles. Um, and so, and then it was a, a, such a long road. Um, her case went cold after a couple years and, after it went cold through alder and support from many people in my life we were able to pull the case out of cold case and just two years ago we um, it was solved and the man who did it was imprisoned um, and that is something that if i ever was so fortunate to have the tools that my mom and dad gave me um they never could have come in more handy as as then because um living with something like that and dealing with something like that and finding the perpetrator um it, it's it's um, it wreaks havoc on your life and so i had to make a strong decision to i mean i had to figure out how to live with that and how i could live with that while I was still living my life which I knew was very important and would have been very important to my folks
0: 100% and do you ever feel I mean it's only you know what's the quote that it's like the the hardest things happen to the people who can handle yes. them have you ever had moments where you're like, I don't wanna fucking do this? <laughs> like, okay, I've done it. Like, how many tests do I have to yes, go through? I be medium I mean,
1: strong instead of really strong. <laughs>
0: yeah, like I didn't really want to get a doctorate uh-huh. in this program, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I I definitely have those moments not nearly on the scale that you've had to experience them, but you know, you're you realize how fear holds you back. And sometimes I'm like what if I, what if, like, I have this, like, w- crazy fear. Like, what if I ha- I? I finally, there's a moment I have life all figured out, and then I and then die. die. <laughs> and so I'm like, I don't, maybe I
1: don't want to yeah. figure these things out. I yes, with a few, on purpose.
0: <laughs> have you had those moments where you were just, like, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand this. Like, haven't I endured, you know, enough? And, you know, I I, like, I I know it's easy to come on to these types of publications and you kind of talk about the um, end result, right? But, like, going through it, I mean, were you ever just
1: like, what the fuck? You know, it's so interesting because so I continually hear myself talk about how fortunate I am and how great my life is. And I think what I've come to realize is, or my the best perspective for me is, I have this great, amazing life and my baseline is happy and then I go through shit and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to change or define who I am. And I think when I stay in that train of thought, then I don't go there. But yes, if I start breaking things down, I think what, so every decade, I have to have some crazy ass altering event and then I think, well, perhaps, you know, this just makes it better for, and I know we'll talk about it, for the students of my nonprofit is I have more to share with them and mm-hmm. more that makes them realize that we all connect even when we look at someone and think that they don't understand anything we've ever um, dealt with in our lives.
0: And it's inspiring, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there, there, there is strength through suffering yeah. um at the time you're you're not you're clearly not understanding that but but even as a parent or a friend mm. or you know you're seeing somebody suffering and you realize you can't protect no. them from that you have to let them suffer and figure it out and 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 become stronger after that especially as a parent i think we want to and even with you and you're not your children mm. in the nonprofit, right you're like you see things coming way before they are going to ever see them yeah. and you're like trying to put these cushions and pillows around them so they don't feel hurt and they don't feel anything that you'll that you've ever felt in your life and then you realize well I am kind of who I am today because I went through those things and so they have to go through them too yes you know so
1: that that's such a great point I mean that's the hardest part right of working whether it's your own kids or with other kids with working with youth is what's that balance and how do you protect but let them ride through those situations
0: Right, exactly, and so, so your 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 mother's case was um, on an episode with Paula Zahn, which I, I watched as soon as I saw that it was released. And so, they talk about this speech that you gave in the courtroom to um, the the person who uh, killed your mom,
1: and you know what what compelled you to do that. So they talk about impact statements, and often impact statements, from what I started to learn, are are opportunities for the families, of course, to you know, say whatever they want to say to the victims and the families. Um, but what I felt like it was a better opportunity to talk about something that is so close to um, to me, and, and cl- my mom and I used to have this conversation endlessly. Um, you know, what I learned through all of this is, or, what deepened for me is the sense that we we never know what people are going through and mm-hmm. one of the things that kept coming up for me was when you see these shows you know throughout our lives that talk about people going through these horrific situations and forgiveness and I've been fascinated especially the last number of years that it doesn't seem like we have any forgiveness in our society we raise kids to say I'm sorry but Nobody believes us when we say we're sorry anymore. We, it, it, it all gets turned mm-hmm. into ulterior motives. And I know we don't say I'm sorry because of how someone will receive it. But if you're trying to raise a child to say they're sorry, and every time they say it, someone says "f you, bullshit, I don't believe you," then re- then, then how do mm-hmm. we continue that? So I started thinking what forgiveness meant about what forgiveness meant in a situation like this. And what I realized is it wasn't, hey dude, you know, when you're out of prison for murdering my mom, let's go bowling (laughs) and and hang out. (laughs) It meant I had to sort of look at his scenario. And this was a man who picked up an old drug habit. His life fell apart, but he had kids and a family. And I saw them every day in the courtroom. And I felt Mm -hmm. sad for them because of what this created. And I realized, you know, we're always just one speck away from taking the wrong turn. And some of us are in better situations to not make the wrong choices, but I can look back on my entire life. I've made many of the wrong choices. Fortunately, I've never Mm -hmm. been in a situation that took me to that degree. So I realized I can only move forward if I forgive what happened. And if I, if I believe in redemption, I have to wish, redemption for him, albeit in a life behind bars. But I feel mm-hmm. like we've just lost this sense of rehabilitation on every level. And so here I was in the most extreme level and I felt it was the only way I could really move forward. And I for yeah. me, that worked. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, you, uh, retained your power right you weren't giving anybody else your power your freedom to move on and um it, because it doesn't serve you no. to continue to be angry or you know uh, condemn him or whatever mm-hmm. you know uh, low vibrational energy that may look like it, it just won't serve you so and it won't serve your mother no. um and she 100 percent wouldn't want that for you so i think oftentimes I'm sure you got the question, like, how could you do that? Yes. How could you, yes. like, forgive him? But and, and I think people don't understand, you're not forgiving them for them
1: primarily. Yes. You're forgiving them for yourself. 100%. And I don't know how, even in this situation, you can look at his kids and his folks and not feel sad for them. Right. Um, you know, he had young kids who who had to go through this and, and discover this, you know, horrific um, act of... The, the Darkness, of um, yeah. So, totally.
0: How have these um, these, I mean, obviously I'm sure you've gone through a ton of other struggles, but these very, I would say, transitional experiences in your life, how have these contributed to... Uh, your passion in designing, you know, luxury handbags in the U.S. and, and helping underserved youth. Um, are, are the missions of these two organizations connected in any way?
1: Completely, and in, completely intrinsically. What I realized when I started Ambition, and I want, I, my mom worked with youth and I wanted to work with youth, what I realized is if I want to run a business, which I want to do, and I want to run a nonprofit – um, I have to figure out a way for those to connect. And I was really turned off it, with the whole sort of cause marketing in the early 2000s because it felt very much to me like find a cause, any cause, pretend like you care um, and use that to market your brand. And, and interestingly enough, when I was talking to potential investors, they kept saying, we don't want to hear about you working on any charitable nonprofit aspect. We only want to know about you working on drama to make money. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Mm -hmm. and they said, once you have a certain amount of money, then you can go help these kids. And I kept thinking, well, on my worst day, I have it better than these kids as far as opportunity and access. Mm -hmm. And when is enough enough? Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out a way to do these together. And so I thought, also, if I bring these together intrinsically, then I hold my feet to the fire because I know how easy it is to start something and then say, oh, well, business, I I, I can't do this today. I can't do this tomorrow. And then maybe in a month I'll pick it up again. So I thought if I connect these so intrinsically, then I know if drama fails, ambition fails. And if ambition fails, drama fails. And I can't let Mm -hmm. myself get away with anything. And I love the idea also holistically so everybody who works with me, whether it's a photographer, my graphic designer, my marketing gal, anybody has to volunteer for ambition. It's just part of the the sensibility of the brand. And it's not a mm-hmm. requirement, you know, where I'm going against you know, hiring laws. I, it's just something that I put out right. there and say, you know, this is really important to us. And it's amazing how many people say, I'm, what can I do to support? the program Mm -hmm. and so they are completely connected and my my dream has been to sort of you know be part of pioneering that movement where when you start a brand one of the very first questions for the foundation of your company is what do I care about and how do we bring that in because you know I could do well every bag we sell we contribute to ambition and that just didn't feel connected for me and what I realized is the success of JAMA will give me the bandwidth to run ambition and the success of ambition mm-hmm. will help bring JAMA up and that will go all the way up the mm-hmm. ladder. And that's something we teach these kids because working with disadvantaged youth, there, there's such a, an ugly label connected with money and success mm-hmm. and it's all, mm-hmm. it all turns into greed and we want to show these kids what it, like that money's just a tool if you work really hard, you can, you can grow that tool, which then allows you to do things like run a nonprofit and give scholarships. And so it's completely connected. And, and I don't think for me, um, I could do it any differently.
0: I, I had this thought of, you know, your the more, even your employees that help you with JAMA, it's. If they could see and, and be a, connected to the mission of U.S. made, mm-hmm. which means jobs in the U.S., which means job opportunities for these teenagers that are a part of your mm-hmm. nonprofit. Yes. And just this kind of circle of life. That's so
1: well concept. said. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much for, for being on the show with me. I know you're so busy with Ambition. And um, honestly, that was the reason why I'll probably always purchase my bags and and things like that with you, because I know I actually feel pretty good. You know, (laughs) I feel like I feel like I indirectly donated and I've donated. I think, you you know, you you do your like um, (laughs) campaigns that come out and graduation and stuff for seniors and stuff like that. And um but I actually feel good yeah. about yeah. that you know because um I was talking to Kyle and, and I was even you know he's in the fashion industry for men and I I'm like can you make me a backpack mm-hmm. like can you just like make the things that I want so I know what what this is going toward mm-hmm. you know and then and then you came along and, and there nice. it was and I remember texting him I, I was like I'm going to Nancy's after our, our lunch he was like good luck she's gonna she's gonna get you I'm like no I don't even care like I don't even care about purses I don't even care about it. and then sure enough I was like holding them in my hand and like wearing them and you know, it's such a beautiful, the one I, the Nicole, it's yellow, it's like yellow Italian leather and gold chain and gray suede. Like, no one has a purse like that, you know? And I feel like it's it's especially mine. Um, and then I come to find out, you know, a couple months ago, um, you told me you designed a bag named after yes, me. The Katrina. There's nothing better. <laughs> uh, that's, I mean, I am like... It's, it's crazy like who does that you know like who i don't know i don't know Like i don't consider myself a fashionista so that it's like but so, so that for that to even happen is like crazy well there's
1: something so beautifully like simplistic about you and designing this bag was so much fun because you have so many layers and this bag does so many things yet it's when you look at it it's just got these simple clean beautiful sexy lines and i thought
0: that's Ooh, the yes. sexy lines <laughs> <hey>? yes
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well we're after this we're going to it's going to be officially announced and so before we close out can you just tell our audience you know where can they find you, connect with you, ambition, and you know just kind of follow along your journey.
1: So the ambition website is ambition dot org, and then our insta is ambition um, uh, inspire, and Jama we are at j a m a h bags on Instagram, and the website is jama dot com.
0: So cool. Well, um, can't wait to see you again and connect. I just want to thank you for coming on, Nancy, and thank everybody who is listening to this.